hasn't arrived just yet. Okay, William, thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is currently off uh, 2%. In Australia, the SX200 is rising a quarter of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is really sinking at the open this morning, down 2.5%. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose another 100 points at the open as well this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning with more business and finance updates for you at 8 o'clock on Money Talk. Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast for today, fine and very dry, cooler in the morning. Uh, the maximum temperature is going to be about 27 degrees during the day. Fine and very dry uh, tomorrow. There is a red fire danger warning in force. It's 22 degrees right now, 48% relative humidity. Time's 8.31. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. President Biden says the United States will continue to supply Ukraine with the support it needs to defend itself, including advanced air defense systems. His comments come after Russia launched more than 80 missiles at sites across the country yesterday. President Zelensky of Ukraine said despite the destruction, the cleanup had already begun. Now, across the whole country, restoration works are ongoing. We will restore all objects which were destroyed by the strike of Russian terrorists. It's only a question of time. I set a task for all structures of our state to work so that the restoration would be as fast as possible. Meanwhile, President Putin has confirmed that Russia launched a barrage of missile attacks across Ukraine in retaliation for Saturday's explosion on the only bridge leading to annexed Crimea. He said the strikes had targeted energy, military and communications facilities. By its action, the Kiev regime has de facto aligned itself with international terrorist formations, with most heinous groups. To leave such crimes with no response is just not possible anymore. A massive strike was carried out with high-precision long-range weapons from air, sea and land. The bosses of Airbus and Air France have been greeted with cries of shame at the opening of a long-awaited trial in Paris connected with a deadly plane crash off Brazil. The two firms deny involuntary manslaughter in connection with the loss of the Air France A330 on its way from Rio de Janeiro to Paris. 228 people died. A lawyer for some of the families, Sebastien Bouzy, said Airbus had not fully taken into account the potential risks involved when sensors ice up. Airbus is accused of underestimating the danger of accidents relating to the icing up of PITO sensors and of not having provided the airlines with information that would have allowed them to inform their pilots. They did not train their crews to think, I understand what's happening. I determine the incident that's occurring and I apply the correct procedure. And the Mexican government has filed another lawsuit against U.S. companies it claims are responsible for the flow of illegal weapons into Mexico. Will Grant has this report. The Mexican government accuses gun dealers and manufacturers of specifically targeting an illegal market and facilitating the flow of weapons south into Mexico. Supporters of these legal actions by the Mexican government say they highlight a situation which has seen the country flooded with guns from the United States, many which reached the country through illegal straw purchasers who then passed them on to traffickers. Critics, however, say the Mexican government was well aware that winning such lawsuits in the US is almost impossible under the current law and so amounted to little more than a PR campaign. 
More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, mental health, especially among the elderly population during the pandemic. Research uh, earlier this year has shown a surge in the risk of depression and anxiety among elderly people during the fifth wave of infections. About one third of those interviewed suffered from emotional distress, showing signs of depression, anxiety or loneliness. Meanwhile, another survey found that the level of happiness among Hong Kong residents in general had returned to the level of 2018, despite uh, depressive symptoms being on the rise. After 9.15, we'll be hearing more about uh, new vaccines targeting Omicron strains uh, compared with those uh, currently in use here. Uh, let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And we're joined now by uh, Dr Candice Powell, who's CEO of the mental health charity Mind Hong Kong, and also uh, on the line Professor Terry Lum, of the uh, Department of Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong and Programme Director of the Jockey Club-funded uh, JC Joy Age Project. Um, good morning to you both. Uh, perhaps, uh, Professor Lum, if we can come to you first. Hello, good sure. morning. Good uh, morning. Y yes, sure. So, um, the research uh, conducted by uh, Hong Kong U uh, in conjunction with the uh, Jockey Club uh, Holistic Support Project for elderly mental wellness just to give a little bit of background for the listeners uh, surveyed uh, nearly 5,000 people aged 60 or above from April to June this year and found that about uh, one-third as I mentioned suffered from uh, emotional distress uh, showing signs of depression anxiety or loneliness uh, now this uh, obviously sounds like uh, a very serious problem and uh, you've been uh, quoted as saying that um, uh, a disruption of routines during the fifth wave uh, was uh, very largely responsible. C could you just kind of fill us in a little bit more about your fi findings there? Yes, sure. Um, yeah, it is quite a serious um, condition, you know, um, for the people in Hong Kong. And actually, we have um, question about, um, you know, to ask them about the major risk factor or, or stress for, um, you know, such a mental health distress. And they identify, for example, um, they worry in case they got the virus, then they will spread the virus to family members. Particularly, we have about half of the older people are living with their family members. So they worry that uh, once their family uh, member also got virus, it will affect their job, their income, as well as, the, you know, pretty much everything. So this is one major worry. Another one we found out is, you know, because the government has been imposing a very strict um, social isolation, uh, you know, a policy for, for everyone, including older people. But older people, in general, are more dependent on their immediate environment. For example, they are less likely to be able to use uh, online purchase for their daily necessity. So they, they go to a wet market, supermarket to purchase food and daily necessity. But nowadays they need to use their smartphone to scan the QR code before they can get in. But this is very challenging for older people, particularly for those who are older, old, um, 80 or older. Another one is they are also very used to go to the, you know, um, uh, dim sum restaurant, uh, you know, for breakfast with friends 
and also exercise in the park with friends. But those are also, you know, significantly affected by the you know social isolation policy mm. in the last <coughs> year, um, last two years. I guess many elderly people may not even have a smartphone. Yes, um, e- even the, if they have smartphone, but for example, in oh, among the oldest, all oh, eighty and oldest, one third of them are in fact, you know, affected by dementia. So they have good uh, long-term memory, mm. but for them, learning new skills are extremely challenging. So even though NGOs or social worker or family member may spend time to teach them, you know, start a smartphone or even give them, you know, a smartphone, but it will be really challenging for them to use it in every single day. Um, yeah, Professor Lum, um, you mentioned in the report that the risk of depression among the elderly was up two-thirds, while the risk of anxiety rose by around 60% compared mm-hmm. to a similar study in 2020. Yes. Now, this seems quite high. Yes. Do, do you think this is a global trend or is this unique to Hong Kong? It is a global trend, but in other societies, for example, they kind of back uh, uh, slowly back to normal in about a year ago. So for them, you know, the social isolation is not that long. So I was in, actually I was in uh, North America and Europe um, a month ago, and pretty much life are back to normal. And I saw older people, they are kind of um, going out, a park, a museum. But in Hong Kong, I think the social isolation has been too long. Okay, well, let's get a view on this uh, from uh, Dr. Candice Powell. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. So are the findings of this study uh, in line with uh, your observations over the past, uh, you know, since the pandemic began? Yes, definitely. Actually, uh, MyHK has also uh, conducted a research back in March in 2022. So uh, the finding is very similar because we noticed that among uh, all the Hong Kong people, 1,000 uh, 1, sample size, we have like 38% of our respondents said that our mental health is getting worse since uh, January. And then also half of the respondents uh, is uh, having lower uh, uh, poor mental health according to the WHO5. Uh, and also for the depression and anxiety symptoms, like uh, among half of us is uh, having the uh, symptom, symptomatic level. So I think uh, the finding is very similar. Mm-hmm. Right, um, Dr. Pao, you, you are, um, you know, heading a mental health charity, Mind Hong Kong. Um, yes. What, what would you do, you know, when you face these cases? Uh, actually, uh, one thing that we are doing is to try to uh, promote the mental health. So we see that actually the uh, mental health become a very important topic uh, in, during COVID. And uh, we want to uh, further to raise the awareness of people uh, assessing and to aware of their mental status. However, the problem is that uh, for people with uh, diagnosed mental health problem, nearly half of them uh, uh, did not report to other people or disclose to other people that they have such kind of problem. And we think that this stigma is still uh, very permanent. And also there are some problems that are uh, uh, affect this stigma problem. For example, that there is lack of like available mental health service and then there we are not unsure where to seek help. Like even we are diagnosed with like mental health problem, like where to seek help. And also there is another concern financially. So uh, MindHK, what we are doing uh, is promotion, anti-stigma, and also we want to act as a platform to signpost and provide information uh, for low, 
low-cost mental health service in Hong Kong. So uh, we will, we think that awareness is the first step. However, willing to take action is the second step. So either to learn a, a strategy to self-care or help-seeking. Um, just for following up on one of the points that uh, Professor Lum was just making about uh, elderly people concerned about getting infected and passing it to their family members, with about 50% about of those surveyed uh, living at home. Um, as we know, um, uh, many thousands of elderly people are still not vaccinated. So is there some sort of a, is there some kind of issue there, uh, some kind of contradiction? You know, I think if you are looking at uh, com uh, older people living in the community, in fact, our vaccination rate is really not low compared with other, you know, um, societies. So um, I don't think it is a, a, a contradiction because when I talk with older people, I think most of them are quite aware of the importance of, you know, having vaccine. And most of them did, you know, have the vaccine at least um, two doses. So, so I am thinking um, it may not be a... Rarely, uh, very, very concerned um, because in any society we will still have a small number of people still at different age group that refuse to uh, do vaccination uh, for different reasons. Some, some reasons may be legitimate too. Yes, uh, Professor Lam, in your sample, how, 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 you know, what sort of percentage of the interviewees uh, is from the above 80 group? Uh, because I just heard that 30% uh, of that age group uh, was not vaccinated for all kinds yes. of reasons. Yes, uh, we also have about 30% of our uh, population, um, our sample who are 80 and older. But we are, we are using um, community uh, uh, residents as our sample. So I think that some of them, or quite a lot of them, those unvaccinated are also right now are in nursing home. Uh, uh, Dr. Powell, uh, can you hear us? I think you were having a problem with your headphones. Uh, uh, I'm earlier. good. Okay, okay. Uh, Dr. Powell's in our Admiralty studio. Um, uh, the, one of the findings of this uh, study was that uh, many elderly people are not even aware of the, the symptoms of, uh, of having mental problems. Um, do you find that, um, I mean, if we talk about depression, it's, uh, it can be a very misunderstood condition, can't it? Um, I mean, what, what, what would you advise people to, to look out for? Yeah, I think uh, depression is of easily be misunderstood as like being lazy or like having low motivation. And sometimes people just think that uh, the depressive mood will be gone. However, we really want to identify that when depression symptoms is getting more severe, it can actually affect our daily life. It can impair our, us socially or like uh, in work or in other functions. So what we need to do is to really aware of ourselves and to aware of our family's members as well. Because sometimes uh, we are uh, being the person who are in a depressive state may not be able to really uh, look into the situation. So I think uh, our, fan, uh, our friends and family can uh, watch out for us and we can also watch out for other people. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first thing we want to know more is like uh, mental health literacy. So we have been talking this uh, in Hong Kong for a lot of, uh, for a long time. And uh, however, the mental health literacy of Hong Kong people uh, still needs to be improved to understand what are the mental health, like uh, what are the signs of like depression, anxiety, and then how we can help them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and what other signs should should we be looking out for if we're watching out for our friends and family members? I mean, I know things like sleep disruption, waking up very early in the morning, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think sleep is the one of the uh, we call it transdiagnostic factors across all different like mental disorders, and specifically for depression, there are two criteria that we want to look for. The first one is the uh, low mood. If a person having low mood like almost every day, then we need to watch out. And then the other one will be like mo- low motivation to do things that they enjoyed before. So these are the two major uh, uh, like sign, uh, like symptoms that people having depression. Uh, of course, there are other symptoms, for example, like loss of appetite, and then um, they have like trouble to fall asleep or early awakening, and then like uh, lose weight. They don't have uh, don't have enough like concentration, and also they uh, may have like uh, some inappropriate guilty feeling, or even have this uh, thought of like suicide. Well, this will be like most severe symptoms. Right. What what about symptoms that can be confused with a a general fear of uh, going out because of, you know, long periods of social isolation. So they have been uh, used to staying at home. And even now that the restaurants are open, I know that some old people refuse to go out. So so is that a sign of mental illness or not? Well, I think that everyone need to take their own pace to back to normal. So uh, maybe someone is faster, so they are so eager to go outside after they can go to the restaurant. But like some people, they will take a longer pacing. However, one thing is important: if the extent that they are not willing to go out is affecting their daily life, their experience of joy and their family and friends relationship, then I think that will be alarming. Mm. Um, Professor Lum, your study was conducted uh, earlier this year between April and June uh, when uh, social distancing restrictions were somewhat uh, tighter than they are now. Would, would you expect that the situation might have improved a bit since then? Yes, I think so. Uh, we also observing because, you know, that for example, the elderly center has been opened up um, to provide more services. So we are progressively seeing more older people to show up in the elderly center. So, and also, I think in the last, you know, uh, couple of years, uh, we have been, you know, paying much more attention to the mental wellness of older people. So with the new um, services available uh, now in elderly centers, I am expecting the situation is slowly um, improving. And uh, is there enough help? Is there is there enough uh, government help to support the elderly? No, it is always a problem. You know, in Hong Kong, if you look at the evidence-based guideline, providing or able to get, you know, psychotherapy is the first line of, you know, services for people with mild to moderate level of uh, common mental disorder, including depression and anxiety. But in Hong Kong, we have a very specialist-driven mental health system. That means uh, by uh, mental health specialists such as psychiatry or clinical psychologists. But in the host um, uh, um, city, we only have a little bit more than 400 uh, psychiatry and 600 clinical psychologists, which uh, you know provide services for 7.4 million people. So um, I, I, I mean, uh, in Hong Kong, it is pretty much impossible, extremely difficult to have access to uh, affordable uh, psychotherapy in community level. So this is something we definitely need to um, provide more resources uh, in terms of money as well as in terms of you know training more uh, professional or power professionals to provide those psychotherapy you know to older people as well as to other age groups too. Yeah. And Professor Lam, it's surprising to, to know that only a few hundred clinical psychologists are available. Do you mean that you know 
of the, uh, out of the entire Hong Kong, we only have a few hundred of these. Yeah. But we have like eighty thousand lawyers. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so um, uh, what 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 went wrong earlier? Do you think uh, it's because the universities didn't really offer uh, sufficient uh, places uh, for interested young people to join no, this uh, profession? No, too far. I think there is a great interest for people to try to get into the, for example, clinical psychologist program. I, I would say that C11 is extremely challenging uh, for people who want to become a CP. However, you know that UGC did not provide or does not provide enough funding to expand the program. Also, you know, uh, for the program, the CP program, they are a master level uh, uh, program. And the why very limited uh, uh, support to universities to offer master level uh, taught uh, you know postgraduate program. Okay, uh, just uh, b bear with us a moment because uh, a message here from the transport department. Uh, owing to a traffic accident at uh, the fast lane of uh, Lungcheng Road, Kuntong bound near Lion Rock Tunnel is uh, still closed to all traffic. And the traffic queue on Lungcheng Road, uh, Kuntong bound, ends at uh, Qingcheng Road near Nob Hill. Okay, well, uh, how about. Um, uh, uh, Professor Lum, how about um, NGO support? Because there are there, there are a lot of uh, uh, you know very good mm -hmm. and effective uh, NGOs working in the yes. field of, uh, of elderly support and mental yes. health, aren't they? Actually, we we are working, you know, in the last few years to enhance the capacity of NGOs uh, to provide psychotherapies for older people with uh, common mental disorder. So uh, I just talked about the, the specialists, the CP, clinical psychologists, and the psychiatry. But in fact, if you look at other countries like the UK, um, they have a program that enhances the accessibility of psychotherapy by using, for example, social worker as well as um, people who have um, undergraduate degree in psychology, and then they receive training in providing you know, evidence-based psychotherapy, such as the cognitive behavioral therapy. So uh, we in Hong Kong, we haven't really expanded to those uh, manpower. So we have NGO that are doing extremely good, but uh, you know, um, in for example, uh, providing, um, you know, they, they are trying to do more or doing a good job in providing psychoeducation to educate uh, people on um, mental disorder, but they do not have the capacity to really provide therapies at the level that we can make a difference in the community. So, uh, Professor Lam, when you talk about therapy, um, mm -hmm. it's not just um, prescribing medication, right? Because uh, mm -hmm. I do know, uh, you know, some people, you know, who who have, uh, let's say, depression, mm -hmm. and they really have to rely on their medication. Yeah. But on the other hand, I also note that in other places around the world, um, mm -hmm. they do things like social prescription. Mm -hmm. They they take the the elderly person out for yeah. a walk or yeah. go for exercise or even mm -hmm. go to a museum and that mm -hmm. is the, a social prescription that yes. perhaps Hong Kong has not uh, been aware of. Exactly. You know, um, uh, medication is uh, also is very good, but if you look at the evidence base right now, uh, for older people who have, or even for all age groups, for people who have um, mild to moderate level of uh, common mental disorder, the first line of uh, prescription or of treatment should be psychotherapy. And the second one is if they need medication, um, the first round of treatment should be, for example, in the primary care setting, instead of directly go to the specialist. We have very limited, you know, manpower in specialists.
means. So they should be reserved for people with severe mental disorder, as well as for people who are resistant to the, you know, psychotherapy, as well as, you know, who, who are, or who, who, have, who are in a very severe level that need immediate medical attention, such as people who are, have, um, you know, uh, ideation or to harm themselves or harm other people. But but the NGOs um, do they understand that they can also do all sorts of things to enhance the well-being of these uh, I would say moderately affected uh, elderly. Yes, they do, and I think you know for elderly services nowadays, um, the government mostly funding um, the active aging program. That means for uh, retired older people to have interest club, to have class. Um, there is also, you know, funding going into the long-term care uh, for people who cannot take care of themselves. But money or the funding go to mental health are very limited. And our community-based mental health system are also geared toward helping uh, people with severe mental disorder after they discharge from hospital or from halfway health to reintegrate into the society. There is very limited resources put into helping uh, people at all age with common mental disorder to really getting better so that they can, you know, have better mental wellness. But we also forget the fact that for many people, uh, common mental disorder also affects their productivity. In fact, in a study in UK, common mental disorder depressed, you know, um, the GDP by 4%. Uh, so, D- Dr. Powell, so what sort of services can MIND or other mental health charities uh, offer to support um, elderly people who are having problems? Well, actually, I I'm, agree with Professor Lum a lot about the uh, problem in Hong Kong that right now our whole resources in mental health is like an inverted triangle that the people with the severe like mental health condition that they have a lot of resources. However, for people with common mental disorder, they, they are so slim resources for them. And uh, this, uh, well, I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, so I understand like what is the situation of like, uh, psychology in Hong Kong. Actually, I have calculated that in order for uh, us to have a ratio of clinical psychologists, just like in the United States, we need to wait at least like 40 years according to like uh, current pacing of wow. training. Mm. That's a lot. So uh, what we can help is that we really want to train more paraprofessionals to provide low, uh, low cost and free psychological service. So the uh, uh, UK in Initiative and the Australian initiative, they are try. They are actually facing the same problem that they are lack of like mental health uh, professional uh, with, uh, uh, professionals. So they are having intensive program to train those paraprofessionals so that they can provide uh, psychological intervention for people with mild to moderate depression and anxiety. So, for example, uh, my HK this year we also uh, launched an initiative called like uh, a well-being practitioner um, and. We trained like 50 people, and hopefully uh, we can train like uh, regularly train like uh, 50 people, uh, even 100 people, like every year, so that our workforce we want to create a new workforce um, in the mental health profession. So this is something that is important, and uh, but. Also, we are facing one problem is that after we train all these people and they are equipped with all the skills and knowledge to provide to to provide therapy to the uh, population, do they have a job?
like whether if the uh, current like organizational structure or the funding can help them to get a job. So this is uh, something that we are facing right now. Yeah. So what could these paraprofessionals do? Uh, they cannot prescribe medicine, right? So what else can they do? Well, they provide a therapy called uh, guided self-help. So basically, I will always like describe that it's a uh, tutorial, like a tutorial of mental health. Like uh, when we are young, we have tutorial of like English or mathematics, but this is like tutorial of mental health. There are evidence-based protocol, for example, for depression. Behavioral activation is the one of the most evidence-based treatment. Actually, it's not something like super difficult. People can uh, learn it and then learn to how to coach other people to use those like strategy. So it is very interesting when there is uh, pure self-help, although like people can read and learn. However, when there is guided self-help, when someone uh, with knowledge and uh, skills to guide them to use the protocol, the recovery rate is much higher. In the uh, United States, uh, in the uh, United Kingdom and in the Australia, the recovery rate of such a uh, similar type of therapy is around like 50 to 60 percent. So so it's very successful. So I really hope that like uh, there are resources that can allocate to Hong Kong uh, to train more these uh, uh, paraprofessionals so that like more Hong Kong people can enjoy uh, the free and low cost psychological intervention. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, that's uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, thanks for. Uh, explaining that to us. Uh, we've got to take a, a short break for the news in just a moment. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, uh, to, to say uh, thanks very much to Professor Terry Lum of the uh, Department of Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong and also a Programme Director for the uh, JC Joy Age Project. Um, thanks to uh, Dr Powell, who um, I hope can stay with us uh, after the nine o'clock news. And we will also be joined um, uh, by uh, another guest at that time. Um, a quick look at the weather before we go to the uh, news summary. Uh, fine and very dry today, uh, cooler in the morning, top temperature around 27 degrees uh, during the day. Uh, Mac, uh, sorry, moderate to fresh north to northeasterly winds, occasionally strong offshore at first. The outlook uh, fine and very dry tomorrow, remaining cooler in the morning and at night. Cloudier on Thursday, temperatures rising towards the weekend. It's currently 22 degrees, humidity 45%. The red fire danger warning is in effect. Police and civil protection, armed forces, and 300 volunteers. Firefighters are also working day and night. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, mental health issues uh, before the break. Uh, the focus of the discussion was on a survey by the University of Hong Kong on the uh, state of uh, mental health of elderly people amid the pandemic. Uh, we're going to turn our, our attention uh, slightly now to another survey, this one conducted by the uh, community support organisation, the Wofu Social Enterprises. Uh, it's a, an annual survey of Hong Kong's uh, happiness index. Uh, and, uh, and the latest study, just to give you a bit of background, uh, conducted uh, an online questionnaire from August the 5th to the 18th uh, with uh, more than 1,100
100 uh, valid uh, responses um, uh, found that the uh, happiness index had risen slightly compared with last year and had returned to the level of 2018. Um, however, it found that uh, more people were experiencing uh, symptoms of depression as well. Um, we're joined on the line by Christina Lee, uh, Director of uh, WOFU Social Enterprises, and still with us is Dr Candice Powell, CEO of the mental health charity Mind Hong Kong. Um, Christina Lee, good morning to you. Morning, so um, the the index uh, has rebounded from let, let me see uh, it was six point four four last year to six point five nine uh, this year. Um, what do you attribute to that change to? Um, well, yes, we rebounded somewhat from last year and in fact um, returned to the levels of um, happiness uh, in twenty eighteen. Mm. So we obviously experienced very difficult three years. So we went. And then we're back to 6.59. Um, I think, although the depressive symptom seems to be on the rise, um, an interesting that thing that we found out this year was that our values actually affect how high and low our capital, uh, our mental capital is. And we found that the mental capital actually influences happiness. So um, I think what happened uh, these few years is people have actually become a bit more resilient and have been uh, building internal qualities that actually help them weather the latest challenges. Mm -hmm. So in a way, um, we've been a bit more robust and uh, therefore our happiness index has risen. Mm. Uh, and what, what do you think could be the reason for that? Uh, why, why would it be that we've managed to uh, increase our resilience? Is that, is that through just having to face uh, adversity for a long period? Um, I think there are many fronts. I mean, in the schools, uh, although we have, uh, well, hopefully increasing more face-to-face -face schooling time for, for our youngsters, um, that, you know, we talk about life education, we talk about um, values education and experiential learning, um, mentorship, in things that actually um, improve their uh, uh, internal sense of self and um, self-control. Uh, respect and care. I, I think many campaigns, whether it's government or civic organizations, are emphasizing that a lot. And on the other hand, for the adults, I, I think um, there's more awareness of um, one's own well-being, whether it's mental or physical. In fact, um, for our survey this time, in the self-perceived uh, health, physical health, and mental health actually is, is the same, 6.38. So, um, I think with a lot of uh, the quarantining and perhaps time together uh, to reflect, people have been more health conscious. So um, in general, more aware of where, where they're at. And I think um, the, that's the best place to start, to be aware of your own condition and, and where, where you're at right. and to you know, uh, work on it if you do need help. Um, and how would you explain that, um, you know, in your findings, at the same time, um, uh, there are more people who have the sort of uh, moderate and mild uh, to uh, serious kind of depression symptoms? How, yes, how could you explain that? Yes, it's very um, interesting indeed. Um, obviously, um, even a lay person like myself, <laughs> unlike the other researchers on the team, um, 
you would think that happiness and uh, depressive symptoms are obviously the happier you are, the less depressive symptoms you should be um, having. Um, but there are also other factors that we found out that actually affect uh, the happiness index even more, such as uh, the value of self-control and social contribution, self-rated mental health and value of respect and self-perceived financial status. So these six factors are, are that we measured um, that actually have an, a, a bigger impact than depressive symptoms on the happiness index. Okay, a, a couple of uh, messages here from uh, listeners uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, Richard writes, uh, if happiness levels have increased, uh, we can assume Hong Kong people like being isolated from the rest of the world. How depressing. It's perhaps an ironic uh, comment there from uh, Richard. Uh, uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey in an email says, uh, masks for the elderly. Uh, uh, it's time to start relaxing the mask mandates. Uh, seeing faces is another mental health trigger. Um, um, let's uh, Let's bring Dr. Powell back in. Uh, Candice Powell um, from uh, Mind Hong Kong. Um, how about that? Uh, I mean, in the midst of the um, uh, pandemic, um, anti or epidemic, whatever you want to call it, anti epidemic measures, uh, face mask wearing and so on, I mean, um, how much of a sort of impediment to social intercourse do you, that, do you think that is? And if, we, if, the t if the day comes when we have to stop wearing masks uh, in public, do you think that will make a difference to people's mental well being? I think uh, truly that affects a lot of our social interaction because a lot of the time our communication is mostly uh, non-verbal. So verbal is only comprised of like a, a tiny proportion of how we communicate and non-verbal is very important. While our facial expression is one of the key non-verbal features that we want to look for. So whether you're smiling, where you're angry, where you're uh, uh, like upset, all this facial uh, expression is really important for communication. So I think if we can like uh, lessen the mask uh, wearing in the future, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people can be connected to other people in a different way. Mm. Yeah, mm. but Dr. Pao, on the other hand, there are people who are saying that uh, they will feel very insecure That's if um, they don't wear a mask these days. That's true. I think uh, because uh, the pandemic is not completely gone, so some people with anxiety to contract of the disease will still uh, are worried to uh, uh, without masks. So I think uh, the, uh, it should be according to uh, uh, both balance both issues, like the communication part and all, communication and social is very important for mental health being as well, and also the safety. Right. And, and on the point of, um, you know, having built more resilience during the last two and a half years, uh, as we can see from the World Food Social Enterprises uh, survey, um, what, what do you make of that? Do, would you agree with that? I think it's a very interesting result. Uh, one point uh, just uh, Christine talked about is the happiness uh, is uh, slightly increased. However, the depressive symptoms is also slightly increased as well. So uh, to interpret that, we interpret that actually the well-being and the mental illness is like two different spectrum. So what does that mean? So one spectrum is uh, with uh, mental illness and without mental illness. And the other spectrum is 
with well-being and without well-being. So a person can uh, with both. So we call that they are flourishing. However, some people can, they don't have mental illness. However, at the same time, they're not happy. So uh, we, we call we call these people, they're actually not having good mental health, even they are not having mental disorder. So you have to be happy to have good mental health. Sometimes it's different because uh, mental health can be uh, affected by a lot of factors. Just uh, uh, it's more comprehensive and holistic. It can be about the mood. It can be about like value. It can can be about meaningful life. It can be about like uh, financial health as well. So I think uh, the well-being in general is a broader concept than only uh, the mental illness and disorder. Okay. Uh, just going back to uh, uh, the uh, Wofu findings, uh, Christina Lee. So, so you said uh, uh, the study found that um, self-control and positive values is the most uh, influential in reducing depression, and followed by uh, social contribution. You mean like for for, um, vol for getting involved and, and volunteering and that sort of thing? Yes. Thanks for asking. Um, social contribution in that we the questions we asked. Uh, that you feel like you have something valuable to give to the world and um, mm. your daily activities are actually meaningful and produce something worthwhile for the um, community. So you've got it right. So basically, your sense of abil ability to contribute and give back to the society. Mm. Yes, and in your survey, um, yeah, the survey suggested that um, younger people are not as happy as the sort of middle-aged and older people. Now, can you tell us a bit more? And um, you also have recommendations for the government as well. Uh, yes, um, because this is an online uh, survey, obviously we don't know. Uh, we, we outside of the, the demographic information, we don't know who built it up. And so this time we only have 1.3% of the 1,100 uh, respondents from this uh, 12 to 18 year old category. So it is a relatively small group of maybe 15 uh, youngsters, but um, uh, um, of course we still found that their findings are statistically uh, significant. So we have some suggestions besides um, the uh, things that schools have been doing more often um, in values education, positive education, life education. And we also think um, for things like sports and arts and music as, slow, as Hong Kong slowly reopens, these are really ways for them to uh, build up their internal uh, mental capital and values. And I think emphasis has to be on, on the journey and not so much on com competition, on exams once again. And that, that I think Hong Kong being such a competitive space, that pressure really gets to and unfortunately sometimes also goes into you know the extracurricular activities arts music that supposedly um that the aims of those activities not necessarily to to become number one mm. right dr Powell, do you see that um as well uh younger people being less happy these days uh for uh for 
survey, most of the survey, I think young people, young adults is always the uh, uh, population that who suffer most of uh, the depression and anxiety. I think that is also related to the adjustment as well, because like young people, uh, they have a lot of like life adjustment uh, by that point. So they just go from uh, a secondary school to like university or transiting to a job and then like in relationship, uh, relationship with each other. So there are lots of factors that affect uh, young adults, uh, they are experiencing more uh, depressive and anxiety symptoms, and especially for working adults. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, portion of the programme. But uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, both of you for speaking to us on the programme. Uh, that was um, Dr. Candice Powell, you heard, CEO of the mental health charity Mind Hong Kong. And thank you very much to Christina Lee, uh, Director of the Community Support Organisation, Wufu Social Enterprises, which compiled uh, the Happiness Index. And... In a moment, we're going to turn our attention to our final topic of the morning. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the programme, we're going to be uh, turning our attention to uh, COVID-19, our old uh, favourite uh, subject. Um, a, a lot of talk in medical circles about uh, new vaccines being developed against uh, Omicron variants, particularly targeting uh, Omicron variants, uh, uh, compared with the ones that are currently available uh, in Hong Kong. Um, we have uh, with us now uh, on the line uh, Government Advisor on Coronavirus Policy, Professor Ivan Hung from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, uh, so, yes, uh, uh, this is pretty interesting. Uh, these uh, vaccines being developed uh, overseas by uh, BioNTech and others, uh, particularly targeting uh, Omicron variants. Um, um, do, do you think it would be a good idea if, uh, if they were introduced uh, here for use among the Hong Kong population? And, 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 how, and how effective would they be compared with the, the ones that we uh, currently have available? Yes, um, the Omicron adaptive vaccine developed by the various pharmaceuticals, uh, including, of course, uh, the, uh, you know, the BioNTech Pfizer that we have been using, mm-hmm. Moderna, that's already been used in Japan and also in UK, uh, and also, of course, the inactivated vaccine platform as well from, from Sinovac, Sinopharm, uh, which for Sinopharm and Sinovac, we've been doing the phase two, three trial for them. Uh, they will be very useful, uh, of course, uh, when uh, t- towards the end of the year or early next year when they will be available uh, in Hong Kong, hopefully. Um, the reason why they are better than the current uh, or the first generation vaccine, of course, is that they are Omicron adapted, uh, either using the Omicron BA1 or uh, they will be using a like a bivalent with the original virus, the wild type, with the BA5. Uh, So that will be able to offer better uh, immunogenicity protection, uh, both clinically and also in terms of the neutralizing antibody uh, against the currently circulating uh, Omicron uh, sub-variants. And I think uh, there are early data already published in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that subjects vaccinated with the, uh, the Omicron adaptive vaccine uh, could offer better protection or better uh, antibody response 
or neutralizing the body response uh, against the Omicron BA4, BA5, and also the BA2. So that will likely uh, translate into a better clinical protection when, of course, most of us uh, have already been vaccinated or been infected, but the antibody will drop uh, over the next six months and you will need a booster and best with the Omicron adaptive vaccine. So, um, Professor Hong, uh, there, there are two, two different uh, uh, types of uh, comments I have read. Uh, the first one um, is uh, somebody like you, you know, who believe that uh, the new vaccines targeting at the new Omicron subvariants uh, will be very good. But on the, other, on, on the other hand, I also heard that um, uh, other professionals say that uh, because they only target at uh, Omicron subvariants, uh, and um, the virus will continue to mutate, and you know, in a couple of months, uh, we might have a new strand of uh, or new subvariant of Omicron. I'm not sure whether you know this new vaccine could, uh, you know, could be a good booster. So you, you, um, I, I know that you are for the first kind, but uh, how would you comment on on the second type of um, you know idea? Yes, there are comments saying that, of course, that we can't keep up with the uh, the new variants emerging and that the vaccine may not be able to offer protection against the new subvariants and that perhaps you just rely on the T-cells response that has the memory uh, against the, uh, the, the SARS-CoV-2. Uh, but of course the argument is that with the new evidence from the latest publication actually demonstrated that even with an Omicron BA1 adaptive vaccine that uh, is able to offer a good protection uh, with good neutralizing antibodies uh, tighter against the Omicron BA5, BA4, BA2, uh, which is not matching the vaccine. Uh, and uh, compared to using the first generation, using the, uh, the wild type uh, as the antigen. So that, that clearly uh, proved that the, uh, you know, with the Omicron adaptive vaccine, it offers a better protection compared to the uh, original vaccine. So this is probably quite similar to the influenza vaccination that uh, you need a booster uh, perhaps every year before the winter. Uh, and despite that it's not a fully matched vaccine, uh, it's probably still the closest to the circulating strain. And that will offer the best protection uh, if you uh, receive the vaccine and, and have, uh, will, will be the best boost uh, before you enter into the winters. Because uh, another development uh, we've seen in the news that uh, Hong Kong has for the first time reported uh, imported cases of the new COVID subvariants of BA2.75.2 and XBB.1. Um, what do we know about those? Well, uh, both are actually subvariants of the Omicron. So basically, mm. uh, they are, uh, according to the current evidence, they, they are... Uh, of the uh, of mild uh, variants, that means that symptomatically the uh, the, the patient will be uh, asymptomatic, or they have very mild disease, uh, especially if you've been fully vaccinated. Uh, in terms of pathogenicity, they are similar to the Omicron BA5. So again, they are mostly mild, mostly mild disease uh, with a, a very low so-called uh, severe disease association or mortality. So. Um, uh, so the likelihood is that they are uh, much more uh, 
transmission may be higher compared to the current Omicron BA5. Uh, but in terms of pathogenicity, they are similar or even perhaps weaker compared to the Omicron BA5. So with the very robust hybrid immunity currently in Hong Kong, that means that most people have been vaccinated or been infected. Uh, these subvariants should not be causing problems in Hong Kong. Uh, and that the health system will not be under pressure, even though uh, these two strains might have a chance of becoming, becoming the dominant circulating strain. Mm. So, so not too much, too much to worry about at the moment? No, I don't think there's uh, much to worry about uh, with these subvariants. Um, well, I guess the government is set to buy uh, some of the new vaccine because uh, it's now under an approval process. So assuming that the government buys this new vaccine targeting uh, the Omicron subvariants, would you advise uh, the pe- people who would like to get a fourth booster shot to uh, wait for this vaccine rather than um, you know, going now to, to a vaccine centre for the, for the fourth booster shot? Yes, um, if you have already completed three doses, so the gold standard is completing three doses that will offer the best um, protection uh, according to um, some of uh, our local studies and overseas studies. Uh, regardless which vaccine you use, uh, mRNA vaccine or the inactivated vaccine, if you have completed three doses, then uh, it will be able to offer you the best protection. The fourth dose uh, is optional uh, because the the extra protection that you could offer perhaps is relatively transient. Uh, so for those who have already completed three doses or four doses, then uh, I would recommend them to wait uh, perhaps until the, uh, the end of this year or early next year when the Omicron adaptive vaccine is available uh, and, and it's best to get the, the, both the booster shot with these Omicron adaptive vaccines. And and how would you comment on the inoculation rate among elderly people? Do you think that this new vaccine could be uh, attractive to some of them? Or if they have never had uh, any single shot, uh, you know, 30% of the above 80 group still has not had a single shot, right? Do you think it is uh, okay for them to get this booster shot as a first shot? Yes, uh, it would be perfectly fine for them to, to get it at, as the first shot or as the primary uh, series, but uh, if they are doing that, then again they have to go through the uh, you know the, the the prime boost, meaning that they have to get the first two doses uh, within a month, uh, and then a third dose uh, perhaps in three to six months time. Uh, but we strongly encourage them to to get vaccinated. For those, however, who have not been vaccinated yet, it might be better for them to get vaccinated as soon as possible and don't wait for those boosters. They can get a third dose booster with the Omicron adaptive vaccine, but the first two doses, perhaps it's best to get the uh, original vaccine uh, before entering winter, and then they can, of course, get the booster three to six months later with the Omicron adaptive vaccine. Uh, looking at the daily uh, infection figures, so they've been around uh, around between four and five thousand in the past uh, few days, uh, um, and that's after a sort of downward trend. Um, do you think? Are you concerned at all that there might be an increase? I mean, are we, are we looking at uh, another increase? Uh, figures will go back again. I mean, are we looking at sort of more infections over the late autumn and into the winter? I'm not too worried. I think this is just uh, plateauing out, and mm. then hopefully, uh, after a while, they will start dropping again. 
Uh, nevertheless, um, the the number of new cases is not is not of our concern because most people who have uh, been infected before or have been fully vaccinated, uh, meaning that the hybrid immunity is, is very robust. Uh, it's more concern, of course, is is whether uh, we have more uh, hospitalization, we have more severe cases, or those in ICU or mortality. And it doesn't seem to be the case. It, it basically, uh, we have perhaps like four or 5,000 new cases a day. Uh, nevertheless, most of them are very, very mild disease or perhaps asymptomatic. So uh, I don't think that would cause a problem uh, with the, uh, in terms of the uh, hospital, uh, on, the, on the stress on the, hospital, on the healthcare uh, professions or the hospital authority. So uh, hopefully, uh, we can get the, uh, you know, the Omicron adaptive vaccine who will become available soon, then we can, of course, uh, get the, uh, the booster shot uh, to our community as soon as possible. So, uh, Professor Hong, I always have this question on my mind. How would um, this pandemic fade out uh, eventually? So these new subvariants will get a bit weaker and weaker, and at the end, uh, what, what could happen? And of course, is that when you have uh, more and more people getting infected and most people have been vaccinated with these very robust hybrid immunity uh, in most of the community, uh, then the virus itself, of course, they will, uh, you know, they will still be circulating. Uh, but at the same time, as you mentioned, they will be getting weaker and weaker, uh, that they may be more, much more contagious. They may be with higher transmission, but uh, when, they, when they get weaker and weaker, they will become, uh, you know, uh, very mild and asymptomatic. Uh, and I think likelihood is that uh, early next year after the winter, uh, then the uh, WHO may announce that it may be entering, transiting into the endemic phase. Mm. Uh, but for this winter, very important is to still keep your mask on and remember to get both your flu shot and also your, uh, your new COVID shot. I think that will be most important. Okay, great. Thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. That was a, a government advisor, Professor Ivan Hung from the University of Hong Kong. Um, and uh, just before we go, uh, well, two things. Uh, here's a quick announcement from the Transport Department. Uh, owing to a traffic accident, uh, as mentioned before, the fast lane of Lung Chung Road, uh, Kuantong bound near Lion Rock Tunnel, is still uh, closed to all traffic. And, and there's uh, congestion. Motorists are advised to use alternative alternative routes. Um, a quick uh, email here from um, Leslie Ann on that topic says, uh, Dear Backchat, the Hong Kong population is currently 92.2% uh, vaccinated with two jabs and 80% <coughs> uh, with a third. Uh, this is more than enough to prevent serious illness and death. Uh, and then it goes on to say, that uh, uh, the 8% not vaccinated are probably never going to get vaccinated. So why are we being held hostage uh, to these people who clearly must know the risks? It should be uh, up to them if they want to take their chances and stay unvaccinated. We need to drop the zero plus three restrictions and end mask wearing both inside and outside and open up properly. Thank you. That's from... Leslie-Anne, um, thanks to um, all of our listeners. Uh, thank you to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. Uh, thanks to our producer, Yuki Jung, and intern, Hayley Yip. And uh, just uh, 